Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your good news. Father, sometimes we look around and all we see is the negative, the darkness. But Lord, we know that there is a great light and that is you. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. Speak into our hearts, into our lives, into our marriages, into our parenting, our grandparenting, our jobs, our health, our family, our future, our fears, our failures. Father, I pray that you would speak into that today. And Father, we know that your word is true. Just as the snow and the rain comes down, it does not leave without performing its purpose. We know that, Lord, when your word goes out, it has a purpose. So Father, we pray that our hearts and ears would be open and receptive to hear your word. Father, we don't just want to be listeners of this word. We want to be doers. Father, I ask that despite the sin that is in me, Father, that you would speak through me and despite me, and Lord, we would hear your truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said. Just to pick up on what what Joe was saying, like yesterday was just awesome. It was such an awesome time down at Abide Network for those of you that came for those of you that brought in presents, for those of you who have been praying for this, it was an amazing time just to, just to see how we could make a difference, just to realize when you are a part of something bigger than yourself, when you are a part of something that's not about you, it's amazing how that makes you feel. You kind of become a part of the army of God, and that's something that's very important. We want to have a presence in our community that helps lead people to the transforming and redeeming love of Jesus. And so it's not just, you know, yesterday, but it's going to be today. Our children's ministry is taking their children's play over to Ridgewood Retirement Home today at 3 o'clock. And I want to encourage you, even if you don't have kids involved, come out. Come out and be a part of it and just love on people. Because when you take the gospel, when you take the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus to people, it changes them. That's what William Booth figured out. William Booth was a pastor in England in the 1850s, and he believed in taking the gospel to the people, to the poor, to the downtrodden, to the hopeless, and and he did that, and, and, and the church and his colleagues, they didn't like that. They said, no, it's about getting people to the church. It's not about taking church to the people. And he said, no, that's not what we're called to do. So he kind of pulled back from traditional pulpit ministry and began to train people to be evangelists. And within 10 years, he had over a 1,000 volunteers who were going out into the city, into the streets, and bringing the hope, joy, and peace of Jesus to the downtrodden, to the hopeless, to the the destitute. And within a 10-year period, over 250,000 people gave their lives to Christ from tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards, all these people. And this Christian mission, as it was called, was making a huge difference. And it started very small, and it started with just one family. And it has grown to what we know today as the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army is everywhere. You've seen the door or the bell ringers. You may have been a bell ringer. You see the kettle. You see what they do. They're in over 100 countries. They are, they are doing so many amazing things to help people. And, and the really cool thing is if you've been involved with the Salvation Army or you are involved with Abide and what we've done, you know that when you are a part of something that's bigger than yourself, you get a feeling of joy. You have a peace in your life that otherwise you couldn't get. 
but it takes being a part of something bigger, understanding that you are a part of the army of God that is sent to take more ground for the kingdom of God so more people can know about how God rescues his people. So we're going to take a look at a text today from the book of Titus. So if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Titus, bring it up on your phones, or just look up the book of Titus. So Paul is writing this letter to Titus, who is ministering in Crete. And he is ministering to a people who have misunderstood who God is and who they are and how they're supposed to live. There were some that were saying, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. God's grace, God will forgive you. Just do anything you want. And then there were others who were saying, you've got to be perfect. You've got to earn your salvation because God wants you to be perfect. And what Paul was saying was, don't forget to tell them the only hope, the only joy, the only peace comes from the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings people that hope, that joy, and that peace. So we're going to take a look at Titus chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. When you look at chapter 3, and I'd encourage you to look at it as we go through this, the first word should just kind of jump off the page to you. Remind. Remind. We have reminders on our phone. We leave reminder notes. We leave ourselves reminder notes. Reminding means that you have been told this before or you previously knew about this before, but somehow you have forgotten this. So Paul is saying, remind the people of this. So the question becomes, what is this? And what Paul is telling Titus to remind the people of is to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Great commission, go out and make disciples of all the nations. And the way that we do that is by how we treat each other. Paul says, Titus, remind the people that how they treat other people matters. It makes a difference. If people want to find hope and joy and peace, it's going to be seen in how Christians, Christ followers, treat other people, specifically unbelievers. It's easy to treat people who think like you, who have a faith like you. It's easy to treat them nice, but can you treat people who are exactly opposite of you? who don't believe like you do, who don't think like you do? Can you treat them with the loving kindness of Jesus? And that's what Paul is telling Titus to remind the people. Look, and it's hard today. 
Because we are bombarded with images. We are told, be in this camp or be in this camp. And if you're in this camp, don't like these people. And so really, what we have to do is we have to kind of, we have to change our thinking. We can't think from a worldly perspective. We have to think from a kingdom perspective. Just like we can't think that Christmas is about retail, it's about rescue. We have to change our thinking. So we read in Romans, it says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have to change our thinking. If we're going to let people know that Christmas is about rescue and about retail, then we have to change the way we think about each other. We have to change the way we think about non-believers. We have to treat people with kindness. We have to treat people with respect. We have to treat people with the love that Jesus would treat them with. And it's hard. And so many times we think we're doing that. And Paul talks about this earlier in Titus when he says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And what Paul was saying is, if they truly know the love and joy and hope and peace of Jesus, it will be seen in how they treat other people. It's easy to treat people who think like you, who act like you, who believe like you nice, but can we treat people who think differently than us, who act differently than us? What Paul is saying is so many times we think, oh, I understand the gospel. Oh, I understand that, that God has rescued me. But when we look at other people and say, they are beyond rescuing. I cannot in any way treat somebody nice who thinks like that, who talks like that, who lives like that. Then we, we're fooling ourselves and we don't know the gospel. See, there are two parts of the gospel. Okay, the first part is justification. And justification means that we're found not guilty even though we're all sinners, right? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all sinners, but we are justified. We are found not guilty, and that is the good news of the gospel. The other side of that is something called sanctification. And sanctification is the Holy Spirit working in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And the way that we see that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to make us more like Jesus is by the way we treat other people. Sometimes we stop at the justification and go, I'm saved and that's all that matters. Instead of going, no, it's not that. It's I've been rescued. There are more people that need to be rescued. And you and I get to be a part of the army of God. We get to be a part of God's rescue team. And our role is to treat people with kindness and love and grace and mercy so they can see the hope and joy and peace of Jesus in us. People are attracted more towards sanctification, God working in you, than the justification of God saved you. Don't miss that. The gospel becomes more attractive when people see that God is changing your heart, that God is doing something in you, that you are extending kindness and love and patience and peace and joy to people who maybe don't think like you. That's God working in your life. And that makes the gospel attractive. The gospel is attractive when people see a heart change. Not when they hear about something. It's when they experience the loving kindness. That's what makes a difference. And see, when we have that, that change, it changes everything about us. 
It changes how we think. And see, there's a difference between the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of me. See, we all have that gospel of me, which says, I'm going to make the gospel fit my life. And my gospel says, that person is unworthy of the gospel. That person can't be saved. I shouldn't be kind to that person. That person hurt me. That person says mean things. I am not going to be kind to them. That's the gospel of me. The gospel of me has never changed anybody. The gospel of me has never rescued anybody. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that rescues us all. And so if we want to be a part of the Christmas rescue story, if we want to be a part of the army of God, then it we have to treat people with the love of Jesus. This time of year, you always hear stories about the war on Christmas. We always hear stories about nativity scenes being taken out away. We always hear these things. But you know what? As, as Christ followers, we need to live a certain way. And it says it like this in 1 Peter. Live such good lives among you that the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, <coughs> they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. People should see Christ's followers living differently. They should see us extending ourselves, inconveniencing ourselves, being so kind, filled with peace and joy, that they say, I want what they have. We should live in a way that people go, why are you so happy? Why are you so joy-filled? Why do you have a peace in your life? Because they see Jesus working in us. And when I think of somebody that just had that way of living that said, I want what they have, I think of Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers to many of us. Mr. Rogers was somebody that we all grew up with. If you don't know who Mr. Rogers is, Google him and then watch his stuff. Mr. Rogers was this, this wonderful, welcoming TV personality who used to come home after school and he had all of these wonderful lessons and he had puppets and he had people, but there was a peace and a joy and a hope about Mr. Rogers that was contagious. In fact, there's a, uh, a movie out right now called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I'd encourage you to see it, especially if you grew up with Mr. Rogers. It is really cool that you kind of get a window into just... He had such a peace, such a joy, such a hope, and it was contagious. But what you may not know about Mr. Rogers is that he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. But you wouldn't know that because he didn't lead with that. He led with the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, and it became contagious. And that's what Paul was telling Titus, don't forget, remind the people that the way they treat other people makes a difference. Paul would know. Because what does Paul say? He says these three words in verse 3. At one time. <clears throat> Paul remembers who he was. Paul remembers his journey. Paul remembers his story. He says this. He says, We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of pleasures. We lived in malice, envy, and hatred. <coughs> Paul remembered who he was. He remembered how we used to treat other people. He used to hunt down Christians, enslave them, beat them, torture them, kill them. Paul remembered that he had the wrong thinking. He didn't think the right way. He thought about himself. He thought about having to advance his career. Paul had the wrong thinking. How often do we have the wrong thinking, especially this time of year? This time of year, we think that Christmas is about retail and not about rescue. 
So all we do is talk about shopping and wrapping and we never stop to think this was God breaking into the world to save us from our sins. It's a rescue story. It's a rescue mission. And we get to be a part of God's rescue army. But Paul is very mindful of who he used to be. He's very mindful. And one of the words that he uses is envy. And and when you think of the word envy, boy, that, that comes up this time of year, doesn't it? Because we always envy what other people get for Christmas. We always envy what other people can give their family, their friends, their kids for Christmas. We become so envious And I want to give you the definition of the word envy. It says this. A feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. A desire to have a quality, possession, or desirable attribute belonging to someone else. We become envious when we become dissatisfied with life. When we think that if we just have what somebody else has, well, then we're going to find joy. We're going to find peace. We're going to find hope. If I could just live there, if I could just drive that, if I just had this many followers, if I just got this promotion, if I just, just, just. There is no hope and joy and peace in envy. The only way that we will be satisfied with life is through Jesus. That's why Paul goes from at one time in verse 3 to look at this to verse 4, but when? But he says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. What Paul is saying is, I had the wrong thinking. I had no joy. I had no hope. I had no peace. I was living in envy. I hated other people. Other people hated me. But then when Jesus appeared, when Jesus appeared, he rescued me. He rescued me from envy. He rescued me from hatred. He rescued me from malice. Friends, the only thing that will rescue each of us and our world is the appearance of Jesus. And Jesus, when he appears to us and he's living in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, should be seen by other people by our kindness, by the way we treat other people. Because all of us are a mess. Every one of us is a white, hot mess. Every one of us has a story of stuff that's going on that nobody else knows about. We put on the happy face, we say we're doing good, but we all have stuff. Broken relationships, pain, fear, doubt, we all have stuff. We're a mess. But that's why Jesus came. He came to rescue us from the mess of sin and its consequences. He came to give us hope in the face of hopelessness. He came to give us joy in the face of joylessness. He came to give us peace when all there is is strife in life and in our hearts. And so when Paul says, but then my Savior appeared, we are saved by mercy and not merit. We aren't saved because we're good. We're not saved because we're nice. We're not saved because we're church folks. We're saved because God is faithful. God is good. And Jesus is real. And we are a part of the army of God. We are a part of the rescue team sent out into the world to let other people know there is joy, there is hope, there is peace for Jesus. And all of us can be a part of it. You don't have to be some big organization. You can start just as one person. You can start as a family. You know, the Salvation Army's mantra is doing the most good. And at first, when I heard that, I was like, that's kind of arrogant, doing the most good. But then as I thought about it, they're doing the most good with what they've got. 
Whatever they've got, they're trying to maximize it to help other people. No matter who those people are, no matter what they think, no matter what they believe, no matter how they live, they are saying, we're going to help people. You need clothes, we'll give you clothes. You need food, we'll feed you. You need shelter, we'll give it to you. The Salvation Army is known worldly for taking care of people and doing the most good they can. And I mentioned William Booth, the founder, but I want to encourage you as a family or even as an individual, you can make a difference. I want you to know about William Booth's wife, his wife, Catherine. She is the co-founder of the Salvation Army. And she was evangelical, she was theological, and she made a huge impact by saying, love is seen in action. Don't just tell people you love them, show them that you love them. How about their daughter? Their daughter, Evangeline Booth. She led the chaplains in World War I. She led something called the Donut Girls. And she made a huge difference with soldiers. You don't think kids can make a difference? How about this? Eliza Shirley. Do you know that she founded the U.S. branch of the Salvation Army? And she was 17 years old. See, the Booth family and this young girl, and there are many others, and I'd encourage you to go to SalvationArmy.com and read their story. There are so many others like them who said, I get it. I've been rescued, and now I am part of the army of God, and I want other people to know the rescue story of Jesus. I want other people to know the joy, the peace, and the hope that Jesus has called us to. Friends, you and I are a part of the army of God, and Christmas is a rescue story. And our leader, our general, he's born in a manger. He goes to the cross. He rises on the third day and he promises to come again. But he has given us our marching orders. And that is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people and treat people with kindness and care and dignity and love. And when we do that, we will find joy and peace and hope. And that is so counterculture, especially this time of year. Because what is the first question that kids ask their friends or when they call their grandparents on Christmas, what is the first thing that they say or ask? What'd you get? What'd you get? I mean, I remember growing up calling all my friends, what'd you get, what'd you get, what'd you get, what'd you get? That's the first thing because we have become so ingrained that Christmas is just about retail and that Christmas means we get presents and that's all that matters. But Christmas is so much more than retail, it's rescue. And see, God rescues us for a purpose. God rescues us because he has a plan for our life. He says this, so that having been justified his grace, we may become heirs. You and I are heirs. Think about that. We are heirs. We, we will inherit. An heir means that you receive something from someone else. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. We can become children of God. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter that we're a mess, that you and I can become heirs. It doesn't matter if we've had all kinds of problems in our past, broken relationships, addictions. God does not discriminate. God does not play favorites. God wants all of his children to become heirs. He wants them all to know the joy of being an heir, a co-heir with Christ. Friends, Christmas is about you and I becoming a child of God. It's about you and I being a part of the army of God and the family of God. And, and I want you to hear what, what it says here in Romans. It says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order 
that we also share in His glory. Friends, we went from the, the arrogance of sinful living to being heirs with Jesus Christ because God sent His Son on a rescue mission. That's the joy of Christmas, is that we're rescued, is that we're heirs. And, it, and it's just such an amazing thing that we get to experience now as the family of God just a small taste of what it's going to be like in the fullness when Jesus comes back and we're all together. I think one of the really unique hallmarks of, of this church, of this community of faith, is the theme of adoption. We have so many families that have been touched by adoption, that have been adopted. Uh, it's, just, it's just an amazing thing about this congregation. And if you've been through the adoption process in any way, then you're going to understand this term that I'm going to explain. It's called gotcha day. And gotcha day is the day when that child that you've adopted, you appear before the court. And on that day, legally in the eyes of the state, legally in the eyes of the nation, legally in the eyes of the world, that child becomes your child. Now that child was always your child because that's who God has chosen for you and that child was yours the moment that you held him in your arms. But in the eyes of the world, legally now, and I remember our gotcha day with Levi. In fact, his gotcha day is tomorrow. And I remember our gotcha day and we gathered in the court and our family was there and friends were there and the judge was there and, and the bailiff and everybody. And when you know, the judge was there, we had this little squish of a kid right there. You know, and the judge said, you know, this, by the proclamation of the state of Florida and the United States government, this child is yours. And there was, there was such a joy for our family because it's not that he wasn't before, but now it's official. Now it's official. Friends, we all have to have that gotcha day with God where it becomes official that we're a child of God. That's the day we say, Lord, I surrender. I'm tired of being at war with you, God. God, I want peace with you. God, I'm tired of living without hope. I'm tired of living without joy. It's God, this is the day I give you my life. I give you my soul. This is my gotcha day. That's why God sent Jesus so that you and I can have a gotcha day. Because God says, I want to make it official. Put your faith in Jesus as Savior. Know that he came to rescue you. And friends, Christmas can be your gotcha day. I want to encourage you. That's why Paul told Titus, this is really important stuff. you got to tell people because it's profitable for everybody. When the people of God understand they've been rescued, when the people of God understand that they're in the army of God, the people of God understand the mission to go and treat people with such love and kindness. That joy and that peace that we have, it'll be contagious. Other people will want that. So friends, I want to encourage you. Love people. Be kind to people. Let them see the joy and peace and hope of Jesus in your heart. We did an awesome job of that yesterday at Abide. I hope you will join us today at Ridgewood. I hope you'll be a part of it for the rest of Christmas, Ugly Sweater Sunday with our kids. I pray because that's what will change the kingdom. I'm going to ask our, our youth ministry to come up. Um, and as they do, I want to give you three reasons why Christmas is a rescue story. Number one. It provides a way for us to reestablish our relationship with God through Jesus. We can reconnect with God through Jesus. Number two, our faith in Christ allows for the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, all of us are sinners, every one of us. 
And the only way we can be rescued from our sin is through Jesus. And number three, our future is a glorious existence with God in eternity. Friends, I want to encourage you. Christmas is about rescue. You are in the army of God. Live with the joy and the peace of Jesus. Amen.